You know, I think with that lyric, it's all for you in my pursuit of happiness. The band Need to Breathe may have penned some of the most profound, some of the most rock-solid theology of the last 125 years. Now, don't, don't, just stick with me for a minute, because I really believe this is the perfect way for us to kick off this sermon series that's launching a new year for us as a church family, this series that we're calling Happy All Year, because Happy New Year, I mean, anybody can do that, but Happy All Year, we believe we are created for, we are called to live happy all year long. Now, I have to tell you something. This sermon series is going in a direction that I did not expect it to go in. Because let, let me tell you what happened. This was just a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago. We were kind of planning and praying for how we were going to begin the new year as a church family and where God wanted to take us spiritually, collectively, as well as individually. And I thought, you know what, let's do this. Let, let's take that phrase, Happy New Year, and put a little spin on it. And not just happy new year, we'll do happy all year. And then as the pastor, I'm going to take a big, bold marker and I'm going to draw a line down the middle between happiness on one side and, and joy on the other side. But, you know, the, the, the kind of obviously superficial and shallow, trivial and trite traits and characteristics of happiness over and against the profound depths and spiritual maturity of joy, you know, because that's, that's kind of what I've done consistently and regularly over the last 20 years. But a funny thing happened on the way to that sermon series. As I began praying and preparing and researching and studying for that sermon series, I discovered that biblically, theologically, and scripturally, and spiritually, the delta between Biblical happiness and biblical joy is absolutely zero. There's no difference between the two. In God's economy, when the question is, should I choose happiness or joy, the answer is always yes. That right now, just tell your neighbor, the answer is yes. Okay, now let me just do, just do a little timeout, can I? This is January the 7th. There, this is awesome that y'all are here, but let's be honest. There are a lot of people who are skipping church today. I mean, are we, am I right or am I right? So that means you've already got extra credit in heaven. You've got bonus points because you came to church today. So like you mean it, tell your neighbor the answer is yes. I'm telling you. The answer is yes. It's a false dichotomy that I have been guilty of describing. And what I've been describing over these years is a, is a distinction without a difference. It, it's both happiness and joy. Let me, let, let me explain it to you. A lot of you know that our son Joseph is a student at Clemson University. And as a result of that, we decided last week we were going to go to the Sugar Bowl. Clemson was playing in the semifinals of the national championship playoffs against the Death Star from Alabama. And so we loaded up and headed to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. And the, now the game did not go Clemson's way or the way that God wanted it to go. But <laughs> the night before the game, New Year's Eve in New Orleans, Louisiana, the Big Easy, I had what I can only describe to you is a spiritual revelation. 
I had the greatest meal of my life ever. And listen, I'm not young anymore. I'm 51 years old. I'm not necessarily old per se, but 51, this was the greatest meal I've ever had in my life. Some of you may have heard of Chef Paul Prudhomme. If you've never heard of him, you can go to any H-E-B here in Austin. Go to the Spice Island. There'll be a little section of Cajun Spices by Chef Paul Prudhomme. And Chef Paul sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but his namesake restaurant in New Orleans still is carrying on his tradition of Cajun culinary artistry. It's an amazing thing. I've got a picture of K. Paul's Louisiana Kitchen. That's the restaurant. It's on Charter Street in New Orleans, down in the French Quarter. Unbelievable. One of the things that Chef Paul was known for, maybe not originating, but was certainly perfecting blackened Cajun dishes, blackened redfish, blackened steak, blackened whatever. You could get it. And blackened is kind of a misnomer. It doesn't mean that he charred it and burned it. It was just perfectly spiced, and then it was kind of lightly blackened and, you know, roasted in a, in a black iron skillet. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. Well, when it came my turn to order at K. Paul's Louisiana Kitchen, I was absolutely torn. I could not decide whether I was going to get the blackened fish or the blackened filet, steak, steak, <laughs> fish or steak. And our waitress, who was phenomenal, very low-key. It's a nice restaurant, but not stuffy at all. And our waitress had this really thick Cajun accent. And she came to me, and she said, okay, darling, what you going to have? And I said, man, I've never been here, and I'm really torn. Would you recommend the blackened fish or the blackened steak? And she said, oh, darling, this is Kay Paul's. We ain't going to make you choose. You do the both. It's surf and turf, baby. You get this fish and the steak. You do the both. When it comes to biblical happiness or biblical joy, you do the both. Tell your neighbor like you mean it. Do the both. And listen, if you think that I'm just kind of arbitrarily knocking down this wall between happiness and joy, let, let, me, let me give you some, some more authoritative resources. John Piper is a Christian author. He's a pastor and a theologian who's been in ministry for well over 50 years. And Piper, in nobody's book, has ever been accused of shallow thinking or cheap grace theology. I mean, he is, he's a pretty deep thinker. This is how John Piper describes the distinction between joy and happiness spiritually. He says, quote, if you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its uses of the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. The Bible is indiscriminate. It means the Bible does not discriminate between happiness and joy. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. And, and it's, it's not just Piper who says this. The Bible, the Bible uses words like joy, happiness, gladness, merriment, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, K. Paul's, exultation, and celebration more than 2,700 times. That's a lot 
of happiness in the Bible. And so we don't need to choose. We're going to do to both happiness and joy. And it's out of this, it's out of this treasure trove of Scripture that, that the pillars of our faith, people like Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, St. Francis of Assisi, John Calvin, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, N.T. Wright, name somebody. They all point us to the immutable, eternal fact that happiness is part and parcel of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The angel, in announcing the birth of Jesus, said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. So we're, we're done bifurcating and dividing the line between joy and happiness. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. This relationship, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, say, I can already made my confession to you that I used to draw that line and that it, I, you know, I was making that distinction and my, my intent was sincere. I, I was just sincerely wrong. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is you, you can't draw that line. Now, it is important, I think, for us to distinguish between kind of the, the superficial and the, the shallow and the selfish happiness of the world over and against the, the, the soul deep, the, the long haul selfless happiness of God. That distinction is very, very real, and it really, really matters a lot. But that doesn't mean that happiness in and of itself is shallow or something that we should look down our spiritual noses at. If you read the Bible at all, you will find a God who is deeply, deeply concerned and interested in the happiness of his children. You know, I've shared with you before that we have three dogs in our house, and we, we've got two that we chose to have. One that we've adopted was kind of a, a rescue situation. We're fostering right now, and I'm, I'm not even sure what's going to happen with that. But we, we've got these three dogs, and, and Julie and I recently were, were out in the country with these dogs, and, and you know, they're, they're city dogs. You know, they, they hang out inside in our house. They, they go out into our backyard, do their business, come back in. Sometimes they get those two confused. The little one, especially Annie, Annie sometimes prefers indoor plumbing to, to the facilities outside, but we're working on that. She's only six. And um, when, when we were out in the country, Julie and I were walking down, out in this field that had some paths cut down it, and the two bigger dogs, Bo and Cooper, these two, black, these two labs, I mean, they were going nuts. I mean, running up ahead of us, crossing the path, crossing the pasture, getting out in it, and then they stopped, looked to see where we were, and then they'd go run some more. Julie and I were having the best time just watching these city dogs enjoy country living. It was the craziest thing. And I thought, I'm, I'm a human being. These are dogs. Now, I love them. Cooper is the foster dog that we've adopted, and he's, he's fine. Bo is God's favorite dog ever, and just one of the greatest animals I've ever, ever been around, and to watch them run, and the, I, I don't use this word a lot, but they, they were frolicking. There was some frolicking going on. 
And, and to watch these dogs frolic out in nature, it, you could not help but smile. You just kind of like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Can you imagine for even a second a parent, a, a healthy, God-honoring, involved, loving parent who wouldn't love to see her kids or his children having fun and frolicking and just, just out and about, just, just doing their thing? You ever in a place and, and you hear a child's laughter kind of pierce the, the white noise? There, there's something magical about it. I kind of think that that's just a sliver, that that's just a sliver of how God feels when he sees us truly, genuinely happy. When he sees us experiencing and expressing the joy and the, the God-given happiness that he created us for, that there's something in that supernaturally and spiritually and divinely orchestrated and it makes sense, I think, when you understand that God created us with this desire for happiness, for, for joy. You know, you think about just us personally. If you just kind of think, would I rather be happy or unhappy? Well, I mean, you don't even have to think. That's just kind of a, duh, I'll take happy, please. Thank you very much. Again, think about a parent. What, what do we say, and, and just instinctively, Healthy parents like, man, I just want to raise happy kids. I just want my kids to grow up and be happy. There's something in that that is, that is an echo of the character and the personality and the nature of God himself. I'm about to mess up somebody's theology. Did you know that God is joyful? God is happy. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of God is is the strength of the people of God. God is joyful. Think about this. God made you. He made me on purpose, with a purpose. We're all created by design, but more than we're created by design, we're created by desire, the desire of God for us to connect with him. That's, that's a mind boggling concept when you think about it. You know, I, I've shared with y'all, Julie and I have been married for 26 years, and I still, I'm like, I can't believe she stays married to me. This is awesome. Unbelievable. I mean, the fact that I could hoodwink her into saying yes and walking down the aisle and getting married, but then she has stayed for 26 years? <laughs> Yay, God. I mean, that, that's just mind-blowing. She asked me yesterday morning, we got up and we're having our coffee of a morning like we normally do. And she said, how are you doing today? I said, are you kidding me? I woke up next to you. I'm golden. That, that's just, that's, uh, but to understand that God wants to connect with you by name, that he created you for that, but he didn't need to. There was nothing in God that was lacking. There was nothing missing that he needed, so he created us. He simply created us out of 
love, out of a desire to connect with us. Because the fact of the matter is God is ultimately self-sufficient, completely. His joy was wrapped up in his self-sufficientness, if you will. Now, follow this. God was already a relational being before we were created. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The, this, this miraculous supernatural relationship of three beings in one and one in all three. We, we can't, it's, it's, it's beyond our finite minds to be able to comprehend, but we know that it's true. And within the Trinity, God was already joyful. God was already sufficient. God was already happy. And yet, and yet, he made us. He created you on purpose, with a purpose, specifically to enjoy him, for him to enjoy us. I mean, that is, that is a mind-blowing reality, and yet that's the reality. And it's because of that reality that happy all year can actually stand on solid, spiritual, biblical footing. If you've got your Bibles, look in Philippians chapter number 4. In Philippians chapter 4, amongst the other 2,700 references to happiness and joy and celebration, there is this, this command from God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, this passage of scripture may be familiar to some who, who maybe been around church or you know kind of been around for a while but I would challenge whether or not we really and truly own it because of what we see in our world it, 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 there's some there are a couple of things about this verse that I think are really interesting that will help us begin happy all year to, to kind of get the ball rolling first of all Notice that the verse is in the imperative tense. It's a command. It says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. And because it's in the imperative, because it's a command, then we know, we know that this is a choice that we have. That, that we have the, the option to respond in the affirmative or to reject this command. We can either choose to do it or not do it. This is the choice that we have. But it's absolutely a choice. You see, God never commands us to do something that we do reflexively or that we can't do. What I mean by that is there's not one passage in the Bible where God says, breathe regularly. That doesn't happen. That, that just kinda, that's just part of us. That, those things happen on a regular basis. As the kids like to say, on the reg. But, by the same token, there's not one command of Scripture that within the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't respond in the affirmative to. When God says rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, that means that we always have a choice. 
no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, no matter what's going on around us, we can always choose to rejoice. This is, this is our choice because it's a command. But the second thing that I think is really important for us to understand is that word always. Rejoice in the Lord always, always, no matter what, broke, busted, or disgusted, rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Just take a moment and look around the room. Just, just kind of scan the crowd. It's okay. Y'all can turn around. If you're down here, up there, you kind of got the, the catbird seat. Also means you were late. But if you're, um, I'm teasing. It's a joke. Um, but, but I want you to look around the room for just a second. I don't know, a few hundred people, maybe a thousand, whatever. Somebody in this room walked in today not happy. Somebody right now is thinking, happy all year, preacher boy? That's a pipe dream. And for that person, it's, it's probably not funny. There, there are hurts, there are wounds, there are scars, there are fears that, that are impeding the flow of happiness in your life. But this verse says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, it's, that, it's that, little, that little thing in the Lord that makes always even remotely possible. In the Lord means in Christ, in relationship with Jesus. Now, in the Lord is really important because Jesus and only Jesus is God, and Jesus and only Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what, Jesus and Jesus alone is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as long as I am in Christ, as long as I am connected to God in a relationship with Jesus, then the circumstances, they can get bad. And you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've been alive for more than about, I don't know, 30 minutes, you know circumstances can get bad. Sometimes we can create them, sometimes they just happen, but, but it happens. But in Christ, in Christ, we always have the choice to rejoice. In Christ, in the economy of God, we don't have to choose happiness or joy. We're going to do to both. Always in Christ. But that means that in Christ is a condition. It's... It's a term, if you will. And, you know, if you've done a lot of business deals or bought a house or signed a lease on an apartment, you understand terms and conditions. 
And in Christ is a term and condition of happy all year. In Christ means that we have chosen as, a, as an act of the will, deliberately and intentionally, we've chosen to step over the line of faith and place all of our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. That means that there is a point in time, there is a line that we've crossed from before to after. Before we had a relationship with Christ to after. And that it is only in the context of that relationship with Christ, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because of him that we can rejoice always, always. Now, I want to show you a picture of, of the meal that I had at K. Paul's. I, I want to just share this with you as, as just a little, little fellowship time. Take a look at this. I know, right? Oh, you see there a, a piece of fish that's blackened? You see the steak right behind it? That, that's, that's like filet that melts in your mouth like butter. It was unbelievable. Mashed potatoes, perfectly prepared green beans. Green beans may be a gift from God. I'm not sure, but I know everything. Then you'll notice on top of the fish, that, that, those are, those, that's little, little chunks of crab meat. <laughs> For those of you cooking at home, crab meat helps everything. It was the best meal I've ever had. Best. There were, there were members of our party who ate so much that they got sick on the way back to the hotel. I'm not going to name names. I was not one of them. And, and it was only because they ate so much food. It wasn't because the food was prepared poorly or for any other reason that people get sick in New Orleans on New Year's Eve. It was just <laughs> the amount of food that they consumed. This year, due to both, do to both. Don't draw a line between happiness and joy. Do to both. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to do this. But, but just today, before we leave, it, it really comes down to one word. It comes down to the word integrity. It's integrity. And integrity, of course, includes telling the truth and being ethical and not cheating on your taxes. That, that's obviously a part of that. But, but integrity means that we live a whole and complete life. Wholeness and completeness is God's design and his desire for us. And where we get in trouble and where we start to forfeit happiness and joy and celebration is when we start to live divided lives. And we, we divide our lives when we create this false dichotomy between the sacred on one hand and the secular on the other. 
You see, in, in God's economy, do to both. In God's economy, it's all sacred. Everything that you do, everything that you think, every motive, every desire that you have, that, that's, that's a sacred choice that you make. Our thoughts. Now, we'll all have thoughts that come into our head that'll, that'll kind of scare us, frankly. But the question is, what do we do with it? Do we give those thoughts residence? Do we invite them in to stay? Or do we take every thought captive to Christ and submit it to the authority of Scripture and God in our lives? So every motive, every thought, every word is sacred. Every action, every work is sacred. When you get up and go to work and, and it's the new year and you're, you're figuring out schemes and plans and, and visions for your business or for your family for the new year, that is a sacred act. When Julie and I get up and have coffee of a morning together and you know the lights are still kind of dim and the dogs are still in the crate and it's quiet and there's no TV on, just, just hanging out, husband and wife, we, we rarely pray during that time or read the Bible together at that time. But that's a sacred act. That, that's, that's connecting as husband and wife. That, and that's, that's, that's the good stuff. It's all sacred. There, there is no secular in God's economy. It's all sacred due to both. This is what author Randy Alcorn says about this integrity. He says, unfortunately, we diminish the Bible's overflowing happiness when we separate holy things that give us joy, such as prayer or Bible reading in church, from worldly things that bring us happiness, such as pets and hobbies and barbecues and vacations and sports and dinners in New Orleans. This turns us into spiritual schizophrenics, creating false divisions between Jesus time and world time. God time and me time. There's no wall in God's economy. Do it to both. And experience and express happy all year. But there's that, there's that, that one phrase that we can't get away from. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. Make the choice to rejoice in the Lord. If you're here today and you've never crossed that line, you've never stepped into that relationship, in just a moment as a church family, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's too important to just kind of skate by and gloss over it. It's a fork in the road moment. And it may be the greatest moment of your life, if you respond to it, if you, if you respond to God's grace initiative. He, he's already started the ball rolling. In his sovereignty and his grace, he's, he's made you aware of your need for forgiveness, of your, your need for a Savior. And this is Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you'd like to begin a relationship with him, it takes a willing heart. It requires complete surrender. Submission to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. 
I want to ask you if you will, just bow your heads for a moment. And in this moment, I want to just invite you to consider that invitation. And more specifically, I want to invite you to consider whether or not you have chosen to accept that invitation to live your life in the Lord. If you have, then I want to invite you just to be praying with everything that you've got right now. But if you haven't, or maybe you're, you're unsure or you thought it was about going to church or being a good person. This is the greatest moment of your life because it's a moment of clarity for you to respond and to begin that relationship with and in Jesus. If that's you, then I want to just invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God and say something like this in your own words. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. In this prayer, at this moment, I'm responding to your amazing grace. And I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back in order to claim your forgiveness, all of it. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again and that in your resurrection, I can have a new life and I accept. I choose to believe. I choose to follow you. From this moment forward, with everything I've got. And Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But if that was your prayer, then you need to make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life. It's a moment that can never be taken away. It's a once-in-a-lifetime moment. You don't have to pray that prayer again to make sure that it took. If you prayed it and you meant it, it's real, and God did it. And so as a church, as a, as a family of faith with you, we want to help in any way that we can. And so there are two things that will help us help you and, and begin that process. First of all, if you'll just fill out the Connect card that's in your program that you got when you came in today, fill that information out, and you'll notice on that card there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. Just mark that, and then tear it off at the perforation, which is right along the fold. And before you leave, 
just make a point to, to hand that connect card to one of our ushers or maybe to somebody underneath the, the blue awning out underneath the big exit to your right as you are looking at the stage right now. But that'll help us begin the process of helping at whatever pace works for you. But second of all, in this sacred moment, as, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand up high over your head? Just raise your hand for a moment, and as you do, hold it up. Because this is the biggest moment of your life. And it's important for you to know that we love you and we, we want to come alongside you and help. And like I said, be that family of faith. And so we honor that and we celebrate that in your life. Because there's nothing more important to us as a church than what God just did and how you responded to it. And our family tradition is as you put your hands down now, we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home and happy all year.